good. Man, if you are new or you're visiting with us, we are so glad you're here. And we look forward to connecting with you and getting to know you. But uh, really quick, I'd love for you just to stand up real quick. Just everybody stand up. Just kind of just help me out here, okay? I want you to find somebody. I want you to go shake their hand. Go hug it out, as Sean, Pastor Sean Smith likes to say. He likes to say, hug it out, okay? Go now. Find someone. Tell them you're thankful that they're here. Hug it out. Shake a hand. All right? Yeah, there we go. There we go. And then you can be seated after you're done. You can be seated after you're done. Yeah, I still see. There's a bunch back there. Just Oh, okay. Here we go. There we go. I got a hug. I got a hug. That made my day. If you would, I just need to ask the question really quick. How many of you have ever started a new job or gone to a new school or just started something new? Raise your hand. Yeah, almost everybody. Almost everybody. You see, at some point, you were an outsider. You were an outsider. You were an outsider looking in. You know, when we start something new or walk into a new place or a new job, you feel a little like, (sighs) a little uncomfortable. A little uncomfortable. Here's why. You don't know the culture. You don't know people. You don't know what makes the place tick, what makes it work, what makes it happen. And so you literally feel like you are standing on the outside watching a fish tank, right? Looking in and everything's happening. You're just on the outside. I've never felt more like an outsider than when I first, than when I started my first job out of college. I started my first job for the Wichita Stealth. Oh, yeah. Arena football team. Honestly, it wasn't even arena football. It was arena football too. It's where everybody goes to kill their careers. But I was the new guy. I remember the first day in the office I walked in. I immediately felt like the outsider. I walk in the office and the sales staff and the GM and everybody, I mean, they're in like, Jeans and shirts, t-shirts, Wichita stealth. They look grumpy. I walk in. I am decked out. I got khakis on, dress shirt. I am ready to go to work. And then they all turn and stare at me and laugh. Awesome. It gets worse. You see, I was inside the company, but then the third day, third meeting, sitting around a table... General Manager Mike McCoy asked, who would like to help Mark with PR this year? You know, being on the outside, you want to be on the inside very quick. So I'm like, me. (laughs) I will forever regret raising my hand. Because then, here comes Mike. He places an eagle head, legit, I mean, it's a legit eagle head, on my desk and says, here you go. It's your responsibility this year. And I'm like, wait, you know, like responsibility, find somebody, help them out, you know, walk around with them. Oh, no. 
you're Ace the Eagle. That's not funny. I played college football. I'm not a mascot. I was like, oh, uh uh-uh. And they were like, oh, yeah. You raised your hand. You said you wanted to help. So I was literally the outsider (laughs) playing the insider role. I was ace the eagle. What made it worse is my, my wife now was my girlfriend then. She was a cheerleader on the team. She loved telling people I was ace the eagle. That is something that she strayed from in the conversation. You see, you feel like an outsider. Until one day, the general manager walked up to me and said, Cameron, come to my office. He sat me down. He says, Cameron, I want to bring you on the inside. I want to help you be successful. And see, it wasn't until then that he decided to build a relationship with me that brought me in on the inside. You see, Christianity is a lot like that. Christianity is a lot like that. We were all outsiders. We were all outsiders at one point until someone developed a relationship with us and brought us on the inside. And brought us on the inside. Unfortunately, when we get brought on the inside, we get real comfortable with our Christianity. We get real comfortable with our Christian groups, with our Christian friends. We get real comfortable with going to church on Sunday morning. Maybe going to life group when it's convenient. Maybe Wednesday night if there's nothing better to do. And we tend to forget about the outside. We tend to forget about it. We get real comfortable. And, and, and one of the phrases that I hear uh, from students and from adults is this right here. I just don't know any non-believers. The scary thing is, is when we start to believe that lie, Satan's won. When we start to believe that lie, Satan has won. He's fine with you being in your bubble. He's fine. He's great with you saying, oh, I just, he's great with you just developing those Christian friends, staying right there, saying, oh, I feel warm and cozy. Don't get me out of my comfort zone. Whoop. He's fine with it. He's fine. And he wins. Because here's why. We believe we've reached the mountaintop and there's no more. We believe we've reached the pinnacle. Ah, we can't do anything else. Changed my life. I'm going to heaven. That's the lie we have to stop believing. Because here's why. We were made for more. We were made to do more. We were made to live the example of Christ. We were made to live it. I love this verse right here, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here's what that verse doesn't say. If it's convenient. If you have time. If you're okay with doing it. It says go. Go and make disciples. Go and bring the outsider in. It says stop worrying about you and start worrying about others. That's what that verse says. That's what that verse says. It's funny, this morning I I got into the office a little early and I was having my quiet time. And I opened up to Ezekiel 33, 34. And what's funny is I started about two years ago to read through the whole Bible and just take my time. And that's where I ended up. (laughs) And in Ezekiel 33 and 34, it talks about being a watchman, being a shepherd, watching out for the flock, taking care of those who are sick, who are weak, bringing them in and shepherding them. And then in 34, it says, if you don't do it, I will. If you don't do it, God tells us he will. So the question for you is, are you willing? Are we willing? Are we willing to get up and go? I want to talk really about an example, and I want you to open your Bibles really quick to Acts 16, 25 through 34. If you brought them, great. If you've got your phone, your iPad, your iPad, whatever, open it to Acts 16, 25 through 34. But I want you to hold really, really quick, because here's the thing. It's the story of when Paul and Silas were thrown into the prison for spreading the gospel, for spreading the gospel. But before we really get into it, I need to kind of set up why they're there, Okay. I need to set up while they're there. First, they're, uh, they're on a journey. They're on, on, on the journey, and it's, it's the journey through Macedonia into Philippi. And so it's Paul's journey on to, in, through Macedonia. God didn't want him to go into Asia, which is kind of crazy about what happens next. But God didn't want him to go into Asia. So he goes into Macedonia, goes to Philippi, okay? Now, typically when Paul would go and preach, he would go to a synagogue. And that's where he would preach, And in Philippi, they didn't have a synagogue. So instead, he goes to the closest thing he can find. A women's Bible study. Not kidding. Really does. That's where he goes. He goes. That would be like myself or or Pastor Sean or, or Jake or someone walking into one of our women's Bible studies during the Beth Moore Bible study, pressing pause and goes, hold up, it's my turn. Yeah, I hear some chuckles. Oh, uh uh-uh. But that's what happens. And so he goes in and he starts proclaiming the gospel to this group of women. Now, these women are very sophisticated, very intellectual. They're smart. And one of them, God opens her heart and she receives Jesus. God changes her life. And right then and there, she's baptized. Her household meets Jesus, and they're baptized. 
All because Paul was willing to go in and have a conversation to meet them on her intellect. Here's what I want you to know about Lydia. You know how I said that God told, P, God told Paul not to go into Asia, right? Guess where Lydia was from? Asia. She was from Asia. She was very wealthy. She, she was a seller of fine goods, of purple goods. She had two houses, one in Philippi and one in a province in Asia. And guess what? God changed her life. The power of the gospel changed her forever. And so Paul and Silas continue on their journey. And and they are followed by a young girl who has the spirit of divination. And and the spirit of divination uh, means fortune telling. And and, and so here's the thing is is that her her owners would use her to make a lot of money. I mean, she made a ton of money because she was able to tell the fortunes of others. But this girl starts following Paul and Silas. And she starts saying things like this. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And after a few days, Paul gets annoyed. And I can understand that because, you know, I have a daughter who loves to follow me around and say, Daddy, 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 I want this, I want that. Can I have this? Can I have that? And that gets me a little annoyed. I just let you know one of my problems. But that's this woman. She's following them around. And she's screaming. Now, you would think it was a good thing, but Paul, Paul gets irritated. Because I believe he doesn't want people to think that she is a partner in the gospel. And so he turns and he says this. He says, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And in that day, that very moment, the spirit leaves. That spirit of divination leaves. That's power. That's God's power. That's God's power. I mean, wow. But you can imagine... The slave owners, I mean, if, if their means of, of, of wealth and their means of opportunity are taken away from them, they get very upset. They get very upset. And so what they do is they go and they, 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 go and they take Paul and Silas and they take them to the inner city and into the courts and they, they give them to the rulers and they say, hey, wait up. These two guys are causing a disturbance. And they need to be dealt with. You see, Romans didn't like disturbances. They liked to keep the peace. And and even though Paul was a Roman citizen, he didn't speak up. He didn't speak up. He didn't speak up for what was about to happen. He didn't say anything until after everything happens. And so these, these rulers, they just take Paul and Silas. 
They throw their clothes off, tear their clothes off. They beat them. And then they put them in shackles. Now, I'm not talking about the shackles like the 1700s shackles. Those are easy compared to what they got put in. They were put in that time, they actually contorted your body to where it seized up and was so uncomfortable, most would just pass out. So they get beaten, put into shackles, and thrown into prison. Thrown into prison. All for what? Proclaiming the gospel. Proclaiming the gospel. And so this is where we find them. Acts 16, 25 through 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. They're beaten. They're shackled. And what are they doing? They're singing praises. They're not complaining. They're singing praises. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were fastened, unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Wait a minute. God releases you. He sends an earthquake. Doors fly open. Shackles come off. And you don't do anything. In fact, you sit there and you say, don't kill yourself. To the man who just beat you. But that was Paul. He thought of others. He thought of the outsider. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas's example helped save the jailer. Through their example, this man was saved. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced long with his entire household that he had believed in God. You can't make that stuff up. They're beaten. They're shackled. They're praising Jesus. There's an earthquake. They don't leave. The guy's about to kill himself. Paul says no. And then, not just the jailer, but his whole family are saved. They're saved. Wow, that's the power of the gospel. And that's something you got to get excited about because that same power exists today. 
There's a couple things I think we can learn from. One is this. God can use ordinary people with extraordinary circumstances to accomplish life change. I don't think you heard that. God can use ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances to accomplish life change. To accomplish life change. And that's what he did. Because if Lydia came from the mountaintop, right? She was, she was high society, high fluting. She was a fashionista. The slave girl came from the lowest of the low. And then you have the jailer right in the middle. It completes the society at the time. What's awesome is that God used those three people to start the church of Philippi. He used people from all different outcomes, all different circumstances, all different situations to start his church. That's power. That's power. That's power. God can use you, but you must be willing to be used no matter the cost. God can use you, but you must be willing to be used no matter the cost. Are you willing to be uncomfortable? Are you willing to fill it a little bit? Are you willing? I mean, as a church, are we willing to be uncomfortable? Are we willing to be uncomfortable to go and, and, and to change our, our, our city? To change LaGrange? To change South Atlanta? Or are we going to stay in our little Christian club and not look on the outside. Paul and Silas were beaten, shackled, thrown into jail, all for the sake of seeing life change of just one person. What are you willing to go through to see life change in just one? Are you willing to feel hurt? Feel pain? To see life change? To see someone come to know the Father. See, I, I think if we would get really excited about it, about as much as we get excited, excited for football teams and our kids when they get college acceptance letters and, and get scholarships and all that stuff, I think we'd actually see our city changed. I think if Christians would actually be who we say we are and actually live it, we would see life change. The greatest, the greatest, um, it really, the, the, <laughs> the greatest obstacle to seeing life change is the selfishness of men. I mean, you saw it, right? You saw it with the two guys who lost their fortune. Man, they were like, no, get these guys in jail. But guess what? God broke through. And life was changed. Are we willing to get out of the way so life change can take place? Are we willing to get out of the way? Are we willing to be unselfish? 
Are we willing to allow God to use us to see just one person come to know Christ? Are we willing to step out of that Christian country club and say, God, here I am. I don't need to be comfortable. I don't need to be feeling good. I just need you, and I don't care what circumstance you have for me. Use me. You may turn your frowns upside down and smile a little bit. Instead of walking around like poor me. And get excited about sharing Jesus with people and building relationships with people. Because that's what it's about. It's about life change. Even if it's just one. Even if just one person comes to know Jesus. It's worth it. Can you imagine what would take place if just our two campuses on Noonan and LaGrange became selfless? Pastor Sean was right. We wouldn't see hungry kids anymore. We wouldn't see homeless anymore. We wouldn't see domestic violence. Here's why. Because the power of the gospel has the opportunity to change. No matter the situation. No matter anything. It breaks through. And that's something to get excited about. That's something to get excited about. The second thing I think we can say is this. He set us free to help others be set free. He set us free to help others be set free. I mean, when the jailer woke in in, uh, verse 27, it says, When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. I will tell you this, typically what happens is this, when God sets us free, we turn back inward. When God sets us free, we look inside, right? Paul and Silas didn't, they looked outside, they didn't run. They didn't run, they stood right where they were, and in fact they said, hey, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Their example was so strong, that even the other prisoners stayed put. That's living Jesus. That's living a life that pleases the Father. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing? Yes, we need Bible studies. But how often do we take what we learn and truly apply it to our specific circumstances? Because the Bible is very outward focused, but we tend to read it with an inward focus. See, the Bible's about reaching out. Yes, we need them. We need to grow. But the Bible is about reaching out and about seeing lives changed. The jailer was changed because of the example of Paul and Silas. The jailer's family was changed because of the example of Paul and Silas. Because they chose to focus on the outsider. They chose to be selfless. They chose to see others. They chose to see others. You know, our earthquakes, our battles, our failures, and sometimes even are sometimes not even about us at all. 
They're not even about us. Sometimes they're just about someone coming to know the Father. They're about someone else. They're about someone else. And most of the time, reaching the outsiders requires being outside of our comfort zone. It requires us being outside of our comfort zone. Are you willing, are we willing to be outside of the comfort zone for just one? Are you willing to be outside of your comfort zone? Are you willing to be outside of your comfort zone? Are we willing? You know, as we end today, I'm going to finish with a story. It's about my mama. And, and my mama is amazing. I love my mama. Is she perfect? No. My mama's a rancher. She's strong. She, she, she loves being outside. She raised me hard. But I'm thankful. Because she taught me about life change. About three years into college, I received a call from mama. And it was the call that no son or daughter or husband or wife ever wants to receive. It's the call of, I, I have cancer. And it doesn't look good. And, and as I cried that day, I, I was like, Mom, I'm so sorry. And she goes, it's okay. I love you. I just want to spend time with you. And so we walked through that for, for a, about three or four months. And then I got another phone call from my mom and, and she's crying tears in her eyes and, and I can barely understand her and she's saying I, I found out I have another disease and I was like what she says yeah I have an unspecified autoimmune disease which just attacks my body takes away her speech takes away her ability to move takes away her ability to communicate you got to remember, she's a rancher. It takes away her life. And then about six months later, <laughs> just kind of kept piling up. She calls me again. And this time she can't even talk. My stepdad gets on the phone and says, son, your mom has MS. And we don't know. All in about 18 months, she finds out all of that. Everything was taken away. (laughs) She finds out all of that. And then about three months later, I get a phone call from her. And um, she's crying but she can at least communicate and I was like mom what's wrong she goes God spoke I was like what do you mean and she told me a story of how she was went up to visit my stepdad who moonlights for hospitals and she went up to see him and she was staying in the hotel room and she had been so done she was so done she was hurting she had been in the hospital more days than she had been home she was just ready to be done and um, 
She said, I was just crying out. I said, she said, Kim, I just said, God, take me now. If you're not going to heal me, take me. Bring me home. Bring me home. And in that moment, she said that God spoke. And she could almost hear him as clear as you and I are talking right now. God said this. Laurel, are you willing to be in a wheelchair for just one to come to know Jesus? For just one. Laurel, are you willing to be bedridden for just one? My mom said she just immediately fell down on the floor, started weeping and saying, God, use me. If I'm in a wheelchair for the rest of my life, if it gets just one, I'm yours. That was about 15 years ago. Mom's still not in a wheelchair. Sometimes I wish she was. Because it'd be a lot easier to deal with. But about three months ago, she um, <laughs> she met a woman who had lupus and didn't know where she was going to go. Didn't have a place to stay. Kind of in between things. And she invited that woman in to stay with her at her house. She fed her. She clothed her. She gave her a place to stay. And guess what? That woman's forever was changed. For just one. What's cool is God used my mom's story to change hundreds of lives. Because she's able to tell them about Jesus. Are you willing to do that? Because no matter who you are, where you're from, or what circumstance you're in, God can use you for life change. With every head bowed and every eye closed, there's some of you in the room today who have gotten so caught up in the Christian club that you've forgotten about the outsider. You've forgotten about what it means to go out and, and, and bring the outsider in. You've forgotten that you actually, in your sphere, you do know someone who is outside. And it may be a Lydia who's an insider that thinks they're, you know, they, they're an outsider that thinks they're an insider, but really they're an outsider. Maybe it's someone at work or at school. Maybe it's someone at home that you need to bring on the inside, that you need to build a relationship with. I think it'd be great if you took just a few moments right now to pray for that person, 
to ask God for wisdom on how to reach that person, how to build that relationship. Maybe you need to have a name put on your mind. I pray that you would pray that right now. If you say you're a Christian and you believe it, there is someone that God can use you to help change a life. Just think about that for one moment. And then I think there's someone in here today who needs to hear this. You need to hear Isaiah 53, 4 through 5 that says, Surely he has come, borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Maybe there's someone in the room today, you don't know Jesus. Well, that's what he did. Jesus died on the cross for you so that you could have life. And all you have to do is say yes to him. All you have to do is say, Jesus, come into my life and take over. And if you want to do that, I ask that right now you would follow along in this very simple prayer. And it goes like this. You can just say it silently. You can say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I have sin. Jesus, I pray right now that you would come into my life. Forgive me of my sin because I want to be yours. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for dying on the cross so that I could have life and have it abundantly. Jesus, I pray that you would help me go out and share with the outsider to bring the outsider in. Jesus, thank you for saving me. You know, if you need to say that, and if you just said that, today is the day that your life was forever changed. Today is the day that your life was forever changed. You don't have to look back because your life has changed. And now you get to go out and you get to bring outsiders in. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you said that prayer with me, if you prayed that prayer, if you said yes to Jesus, if you asked Jesus into your life, would you just raise your hand? Amen. Amen. That is awesome. That is awesome. That's what life change is about. Guess what? God wants to use you. He's not through with you. He has a plan for you. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would guide us and lead us. Jesus, you are awesome. I thank you for the opportunity that I get every day to serve you and to follow you and to hang out with this awesome, awesome, awesome church. Father, I pray that we would go out and see life change. That we'd go out and see lives changed. Jesus, we love you. Amen.